This is a Soul Fire production. Welcome to Mother. No, it's Mother. Welcome to Mother, the show where we can explore our inner mothers to actualize our greatest selves through interviews with incredible guests, live coaching sessions, and my own experiences. We're going to dive deep into embracing feminine values and reparenting ourselves. So be prepared to show up, hold space, and be mothered in a way you never have before, but have always needed. It's time we rewrite the Mud Her Code. Hi, and welcome to Mud Her, rewriting the Mother Code with me, Dr. Gertrude Lyons. I'm so excited for today's episode. I have the privilege and honor to have on the show today, Dr. Kate Mangino. Welcome to the show, Kate. So happy to have you. Thank you so much for having me today. I am thrilled to be part of your podcast. Yay. Well, we're going to we're gonna cover some territory. We, were, we had to start the recording because we were already so getting into it um, prior to, to really getting started here. But I'd like to share with the audience a little bit about you and, you know, some of the particulars and okay. then, and then we'll have you go, you know, more into yourself and your journey and your work, which is just really powerful and beautiful. Okay. So here are some wonderful things about Kate. So Kate Mangino, this is, this is the awkward part, but please go ahead. I know. So you get to just sit and be with I'll yourself as you yeah. hear about you and take it in because yes. you are amazing. Kate Mangino is a gender expert who works to change harmful social norms through writing, training, and facilitation. She has 20 plus years of experience working in the international development sector, writing and delivering curriculum in over 20 countries in a range of issues, gender equality, women's empowerment, healthy masculinity, women's economic participation, HIV prevention, and early enforced childhood marriage. Kate strives to bridge her international work with her personal life and address gender inequality in the United States. Very exciting. She will be releasing her debut book, Equal Partners, this June, June 28th, I believe, Mm -hmm. which looks at gender imbalance in our personal life and what we can do about it. Well, I just got goosebumps reading about all this, Kate, and I'm kind of a little bit moved to tears because what you're doing is so important. So... I'm just going to sit with that for a moment and let you share and introduce, not introduce yourself, but if you don't mind kind of sharing a bit about your journey, you know, your, your work, your background, how you got to where you are with about to launch and, and uh, bring out into the world, this book. Thank you. Thank you again for having me. Uh, My work, I come, I come at this work I think from a different perspective or a unique perspective, a lot of people I meet are journalists and psychologists and I love an interdisciplinary approach. So I appreciate lots of different perspectives. And the lens that I bring is from my work in international development, which it's what I've done. I was a Peace Corps volunteer, you know, back when I was in my mid twenties. And ever since then I did my master's and PhD in social development. And we know that social change lasting social change happens when two things happen. You have to have policy change, so top-down work to create a systems and a structure that enable people to change. And you also need the bottom-up grassroots approach and that's sort of our behavior and what we do every day. 
So to take it out of gender, sometimes they use recycling as an example, just so people understand. You had to have policies saying that you could no longer throw cans away and you could be fined if you did. And then you needed to provide buckets for everyone to keep in their household so that you can encourage people to change their behavior to separate their trash, which now, if you were born in the last 10 or 15 years, you take for granted. But a lot of us remember when those changes were taking place in the 80s, and it was hard to get people to change their behavior. So my, my perspective or my work, although I very much appreciate policymakers, and I'm a huge advocate for policy change, my work is in the social movement part. And I'm hired by a, various, or by a variety of organizations to work on a variety of projects that as you said, they're, they all have a different theme, um, but they all have the same thread that is bringing people together to talk about and identify harmful gender norms that have some sort of negative ramification in their community, whether it's contributing to early childhood marriage, whether it's contributing to domestic violence, whether it's contributing to the spread of HIV, a lot of this boils down to the fact that we still perpetuate harmful gender norms. And so that's what my work is. And I, I took that experience and brought it to this project to sort of discuss and challenge what I think are some harmful gender norms in our community in the United States, which is um, this ongoing imbalance about household roles and responsibilities. Beautiful. Yeah. So I imagine, you know, given the spheres that you've covered and, and seeing where the gender imbalance touches so many places, um, I don't know, is it challenging to narrow it or is that more personal? How did you come to how to, to choose the way? topic for my own book? Um, yeah. I think it was, it came organically and it came naturally. Um, I was, so my oldest just turned 11. So for 11 years, I have been trying to reconcile my work life with my personal life. And because of my work, I had the opportunity to go to Indonesia and Zambia and Nepal and <clears throat> Mexico and have very sophisticated conversations with people about gender. And then I found I was having very antiquated conversations about gender within my own community and my own family. Um, I learned very quickly that the expectations for a mother are very different than the expectations for a father. And in, in a community that tells me that they value gender equality, I didn't see my community living that value. And so I, that was just sort of it stuck in my craw. It was something that I struggled with for a long time. And the book idea actually came to me when I was doing my PhD research in Indonesia. And I was in a rural community meeting with a men's group who were being so kind and so welcoming and so vulnerable and so brave. And I had a series of conversations with them. And at one point, a guy just turned to me and said, tell me about American men. Do they think this, do they ask these questions of themselves? Do they come together to talk about masculinity? Do they come together to question gender norms? And I was kind of like, ugh, <laughs> maybe, maybe not so much, but you know what? I'm going to go back and see what I can do about that. I mean, I just remember that it was a big moment that I can still just picture that conversation where I was sitting and, and that 
that really was the the spark that I thought maybe this is this is where I need to go. Wow, that's you know sometimes the, <laughs> the these directions we take you know come out of a just an innocent truth you know like that or yeah. a question that really p- causes us to pause and think oh yeah yeah no. yeah like what am I doing here in rural right. Java talking to you about masculinity when I don't even know how to answer that question about my relatives in Ohio like yeah yeah it seems very and you know I think I have learned that every country in the world struggles with gender imbalance it's there is no equality anywhere where it looks different from place to place but none of us have it figured out yeah and I I do believe you know we have seen in history like thousands of years ago some cultures that did have it you know yeah um, yeah gender equality, not, you know, I, I think there was probably even times where it was matriarchal yes. or patriarchal, yes. you know, which I don't think was, you know, the best either, but egalitarian, mm-hmm. um, more egalitarian, so we know it's possible. Sure. We know it's possible, at least more in that direction, you know? So I, I think it's worthy to note, you know, we're not trying to do something that's never been done before. We just have had thousands of years of it not be in that way. So undoing it and even considering it is, is a really big deal. That's why, um, your work, our work, you know, in our own ways is so important. So I want to mention that like how you and I got together was through a mutual friend, um, advocate, uh, Dr. Katie Garner Mm -hmm. and through the organization where she's the executive director of the organization, IMAS international association of maternal action and scholarship and beautiful organization that I'm very proud to be a part of. Uh, and she, she sent us an email saying, I think the two of you should talk. <laughs> she was so, right. <laughs> and she was right because we've had a couple of conversations that we had a very difficult time closing out. <laughs> we wanted to keep going and, you know, just seeing the intersections, right. I mean, in ways, although I, I, a piece of my work in rewriting the mother code, you know, looking at that, we all mother, you know, all of us have that quality in us. Right. And, and looking at it from a non-gendered perspective, I will say, I will use the words all women mother, but I always mean it when I say that, that we all have that, you know, more feminine value uh, aspect or the, you know, talking about it through yin and yang. And it's is only when we start honoring that within ourselves and seeing both value in both of them and kind of unrooting and uncovering where I have my own biases, you know, where they're just wired in, you know, Mm -hmm. you don't have to feel a lot of shame about it. These have been wired in culturally and Mm -hmm. through our families, you know, our nearest term family, but generations. Mm -hmm. Um, So the fact that we're exploring it and where we are, you know, today, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful, you know, to have this awareness and such a big part for me with women and coaching and working with women is just having more discerned choices, you know, exploring a little deeper, you know, looking at what are the current norms you're either consciously and more importantly, unconsciously living and, you know, uh, uh, 
And why not have more choice about it? You may yeah. decide you like it, you know, and this mm-hmm. is what works for you and that's fine, but not out of, uh, not out of not knowing any different, right? And hundred percent so different. We can't wrestle with it, you know, and 100%. it's a bit uncomfortable, but it, but it works. So I would, I would totally agree. And I, I tell people that I'm not, because when people find out what I write about, I do, um, I'm often met with um, sort of people get defensive because they think I'm judging or I'm advocating for a specific way of life. I do not think that the truth needs to be found through a two person partnership with kids and two jobs. I mean, everyone finds their own path to what is right for them. Um, I think just as you said, the number one thing that I really advocate for and encourage is intentionality, just to think about generational patterns of behavior and to make sure that you're making conscious and intentional decisions for your own life and not just repeating what you have seen um, by accident, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. Um, so your book isn't released until June 28th. So this podcast will come out just before it's official. You still can pre-order, um, but I had the privilege of, and I strongly encourage you to, because it's, I was telling Kate before we got on, it's, it's so readable. It's so, it, it does open, it's opened my eyes to aspects that I hadn't thought about before. And some of which I'm going to obviously want you to talk about, um, that being said, what are some examples of gender imbalances that you address? And you can say in general, but I, I like kind of focusing on the book and giving the listeners an idea Absolutely. Of, of what's going on there. So I focus on the home. I talk a little bit about work and I wrap up the book by bringing in sort of the concepts that our lives are very um, intertwined with our work and our home life. And so we can't We can't address one without the other, but the bulk of the book is on people's personal lives. So I would say, um, let's talk about female coded and male coded roles, because I think that's what a lot of us fall into when we partner up. And I use the term male role and female role in my book, which I absolutely own the fact that language is a little clunky and sometimes it's hard to read because of it. But I wanted to be inclusive of all partners, including same-sex and queer couples. And a lot of the couples I talked to who were same-sex said they still fell into this female role and male role. Or sometimes it was switched. I had an early reader who was, um, I, it was a woman and told me that, thank, you know, after reading my book, she realized she had fallen into the male role and was expecting her husband to do the cognitive labor in the home. So... Mm-hmm. I use those terms intentionally to just try to be more inclusive of more couples. But traditionally speaking, female coded work is routine and it is indoor. So it is work that has to happen every day. And it is work that is, we all know it, the cleaning, the cooking, the washing, the kids, doing the homework, the getting, keeping the clothes clean, um, tidying the house, getting everyone ready for school, getting everyone home from school. And if they're skipped, if you miss a meal for a child or you don't have clean clothes or the house is a mess or the dishes are piled up in the sink, people notice it really quickly. You can get by by taking a day off and ordering pizza, but you can't get by with more than one day of taking off from your coded tasks. They're just relentless in the fact they have to be done all the time. 
Male-coded household tasks tend to be intermittent and outdoor. So they're tasks that happen once in a while and it's outside the house walls. So it's easier to sort of turn a blind eye to it. If the lawn gets a little bit too long or the car isn't fixed or the light bulb is out, you can get by for a longer period of time without noticing that someone isn't doing it. The fact that male chores, male coded chores are intermittent and outside gives them greater flexibility to do them in their spare time and to push them off if they have other things to do. And the female coded tasks, because they are routine and they are indoor, are things that offer very little flexibility and have to happen every single day. And when you build that up over time, when you look at months or years of a relationship, um, we have data that shows us that in different sex households, women typically do twice as much work around the house than men yeah. in dual earning relationships. That's still a 2022 fact. <clears throat> it hasn't really changed much in about 30 years. We've pretty much plateaued since the 80s, which is unfortunate. Wow. And if you break that down, you realize that if a man is doing 10 hours of household work a week, she's doing 20. 15 to 30. Once you start to quantify that, you realize he can do a lot of extra stuff in those 10, 15, 20 hours a week. He can sleep. He can do a hobby. He can hang out with friends. He can read a book. He can work overtime and bring in more money. He can take on a project at work and put his hat, his throw his hat in for a promotion. And she doesn't have those options. She's still doing the household tasks. And so I think that that's the imbalance that we're talking about, um, that both partners are contributing to family income, but only one partner is really taking the responsibility for caring for the family. That is just so important, Kate. And even though I have heard those statistics and that I'm just putting together for myself, you know, when I'm supporting women to mother themselves because yes, all women mother, we all mother, most important person we need to mother is ourselves. And then we wonder why it's so hard, you know, where, why, why don't I have the time? Like where, you know, and, um, looking for small little tidbits, but you just freed up, you just found hours and, you know, revealed, and this is a conversation then to have, and that's what we're going to keep talking about. Right. But this is, really beautiful. And, uh, you know, such an, it seems simple, but, and kind of, we toss it aside, like, yeah, women do more. And I I'm going to underline women rock. And, you know, the, the fact that we persevere and still, and do that and, and hold it down and, and yeah. in so many ways do it so beautifully, I think is Phenomenal. Amazing. It's phenomenal. And, but but it's it's really expecting it's not, too much. It doesn't mean it's right. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't mean it's right. It's we're coping, but there is a cost. And I would there's a high cost for women, which we we know when we talk about it can hold us back professionally. It can lead to we're seeing a mental health crisis in the United States right now amongst right. mothers for this reason. They're just stretched beyond belief. But the other consequence that I think isn't talked about enough is that when women are tasked with the caregiving roles, we prevent men from really digging into those caregiving yes. roles. Yes, so I know yes. we talk about women leaning in at work, which I don't 
really ascribe to, but I would ascribe to sort of, because I think we've done enough. So I would never tell a woman to do more work. That's why I have a problem with that phrase, but I would encourage men to lead it at home because I think that what the reason why we love mothering and I'm a mother of two is those emotional connections, the, the feelings and the love and the respect and the growth and the discovery that come from nurturing and mothering. And when we task men with income generation only, it really prevents an entire, you know, a huge percentage of our population from experiencing those deep emotional connections. And I think that we see the lack of empathy. The, when we raise boys and men, we don't raise them to be unempathetic, but I think we could do a better job at raising them to be more empathetic, mm-hmm. more understanding, more vulnerable. And I think you, we're seeing that play out in many different issues in our country right now. So, um, so I do think that, yes, it prevents women. It can be detrimental to women, and I think it can be detrimental to men. Well, and I 100%, Kate, and I, I think you're touching on something I wanted to go into and keep going into. So what does healthy masculinity mean and look like, you know, what could that look like? What does it look like in, in our world? And there's a way you talk about this and the way you did your research that I think brought this to light so beautifully. So if you'd speak into that, that would be great. Thank you. I, let me, let me start by defining unhealthy masculinity. Cause I think when you define unhealthy masculinity, it's easier to understand the opposite. And for anyone who's really interested in this topic, I highly recommend a, um, a call to men, which is a U.S. based organization and they do phenomenal work in, um, men as promoters of anti-violence. And they have something specific they call the man box. So if you Google a call to men man box, all kinds of great stuff will come up. Unhealthy masculinity is sort of this traditional ideal that our culture has always defined as this is what a man is. He is strong. He is emotionally distant. He is, um, he's in control. He takes control of his family. He takes care of his family. He's not vulnerable. He's not sensitive. Um, he doesn't show emotion. He is sort of this strong robot machine who can handle anything that comes his way and is never shaken. And oftentimes there's physical attributes that come with that. And it's often um, a, a physically strong, white, straight man, right? When you, when we personify, John Wayne. yes, exactly. Right. right. When we personify that ideal man in American culture, you think to the movies and you think of all of those lead roles. And the reason why that can be unhealthy is we're basically telling America's boys that if you don't fit in that box, you are less than, you are other, you don't quite belong. So if you are physically small, if you um, are gay or queer, if you love the arts, if you are emotional, if you are expressive, if you want to dance, if you don't want to play sports, anything outside of that box becomes considered, again, less than or othered. And they, you know, it's just basically saying you don't fit in if you're not the stereotypical male. And I think that there are far more men and boys outside of that box than inside the box. So it's extremely limiting. When I think of healthy masculinity, I think of a big circle around all of those attributes just listed. So whatever your authentic self is, if you are authentically the quarterback star athlete of your high school, 
great. If you are authentically um, small or queer or artsy or vulnerable, that's okay too. Healthy masculinity is when a man or a boy can be their own true genuine selves and feel as if they are no less of a man because of who they are. Does that help? Does that help? Great. And (laughs) so many things are going on in my mind and, and heart with this. Well, first I'll just, you know, personally, I feel very grateful that my husband and I started on a growth path when we got engaged from this perspective, because he was very much in the old model of manhood, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, kind of how we term it or, you know, and work he's done on himself terms it right. The, the John Wayne and exactly what you were describing Right. Um, to open himself to his softer side, you know, to be more accepting mm-hmm. of those mm-hmm. who don't fall into that bucket, but be more accepting of those parts of himself. Yes. Which, right. you know, is such a part of it. You know, I'm grateful that our daughters got to see a man who was okay to show his feelings and wasn't trying right. to, you know, just be strong. I mean, there are we were talking about this before we started, but there are definitely areas that we still stayed. I'm going to call it, you know, in some of the traditional roles and more from a values perspective that, mm-hmm. you know, I look back on now and it's like, oh, you know, but we'll, it's, we'll a journey. it's a journey. <laughs> it's a journey. So it's I'm so journey. grateful for where, you know, that we, we did bust some of those beliefs and that he supports other men to have their feelings basically, you know, and, yeah. and, and see that that's very masculine, you know, and right. It's right. And to encourage a beautiful part of a man, right. You know, right. to have all that. And it's just as brave to do that as it is to, um, you know, climb a mountain or whatever. Right. Right. Exactly. And- or yeah. Hi, I'm so excited to share with you my 2024 Spring Equinox Self-Mothering Retreat that's happening this March, 2024. And I would love for you not only to consider it, but to attend. But in considering it, hey, just knowing that you would be leaving cold weather, if that's the space that you're in and coming down to just magnificently beautiful, warm, nourishing place of Zihuatanejo, Mexico. Zihuatanejo meaning land of the goddess women and coming to really take time for yourself okay and that i am learning more and more isn't just a nice thing to do or something extravagant or something selfish it's essential and i really want you to take it seriously to consider you know just think about what would it take for me to go it's a five and a half day retreat getting from where you are getting there landing there and then being in a space that is all about you. It's all about nourishing you. It's all about tuning into you, using everything around us, the nature, the food, the beautiful people, the rituals, ceremonies. I bring it, you know, we really bring it. And we go deeper and deeper as the days go on and we release, we let go, we bring in what is nourishing, what is empowering, what is that space of just really divine feminine energy. And we do it in the community of women. It's not for everyone. I will be honest, you know, if the idea of leaving and not making it work or it's just too hard, not for you. If the idea of, you know, spending that amount of time 
inwardly focused and going to that level of self-awareness doesn't sound like something you're willing to do or put the time and energy into, then it's not for you. And it's good to know that, right? So this is for people who are serious about what it means to mother themselves, what it means to take time for ourselves and that gift and what that gift can bring to us. It was originally right after my fall retreat, it filled right up. But now some people, it turns out, are not able to come. So I do have a handful of openings. And if you're listening to this and you're willing to take that step, please reach out to me. We can do a discovery call or you can put a deposit down. I would love that. And you can do that by going to my website, www.drgertrudelyons.com. Go to events and there you go. It'll all be there. There's a beautiful page there for you to explore. I look forward to hearing from you and then seeing you on my spring retreat. And we've worked, you know, a lot in our household to value being and doing, doing one a lot and, you know, the, um, that aspect, but being was in there, you know, and I'm so grateful that it is. And I think that so personally, you know, looking at that and then it was coming up for me a lot. So this is opportunity to develop these other aspects, you know, within ourselves and for me as a woman to develop and honor some of the more masculine aspects in ways that I hadn't, you mm -hmm. know, and I kind of gave that to, that was like my husband's job, right? You be the man, you be the doer, you know, and the strong guy. And the more I was able to, and took on that aspect for myself, it gave him space to not have to hold it. Precisely. And, you know, yeah. so in a partnership, seeing how that can work together, where you can both support each other right? and where you're, I'm going to call it weaker or stronger, just haven't developed those aspects as much what's possible. And as you named it, that's a beautiful journey. And I mm -hmm. think that's what you're inviting people to explore. Absolutely. Especially, I mean, I was married in 2006, so I'm no rookie either. And I just think that the way we talked about gender in 2000 and 2020 and 2040 are going to be very different things. And if you've been married for 20, 30, 40 years, it's just, you're, you're going to be on this sort of journey together. I think half of the battle is just being open to learning something new and, a, and accepting and embracing the fact that we haven't figured it all out yeah. <laughs> and that we will continue to evolve. Exactly. Well, you noticed in a previous podcast that I have a daughter who's getting married. Yay. And, <laughs> yay. I, it's like, yay. What? what? I, how am I old enough to have a daughter getting married? I mean, there's just so many things that go along with that. Uh, but it's beautiful and wonderful. And they're getting married next February. You know, and as part of the rewrite the mother code paradigm, I I'm there's always things happening with my children that evoke things in me that spur on my own growth and development, you know, and mm -hmm. continuing to separate like what's her and what's what does it mean to support her and in, in this endeavor from what I know and where I've been, and then kind of what's my own stuff, you know, and what's getting triggered. Mm -hmm. And we were talking a bit about this and before I share a bit more of what's going on between us, what, what would you say, or, you know, if you could say anything to these young couples or, you know, young people in partnership and 
potentially sharing a life together around the work you're doing and how to explore that for themselves and what's possible. I think that the number one lesson is that gender equality in the household is not changing naturally. We are not on an upward uh, path and it, we, and it's just about time and that our, the way that we have changed to think about gender identity and gender fluidity is not transitioning into relationships. We don't have any data to show that it is yet. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting. I did um, some focus groups with young women well, when I started out researching for my book, I'd say between the ages of 18 and 24, because I really wanted to see where they were, what their thoughts were. If they thought gender was important, they all considered themselves most of them were, were comfortable using the word feminist. Some of them didn't use the word, but they ascribed to valuing gender equality, which you know Pew Research does um, polls every so often. And the last one that was done, I think it was in 2020, found that 79% of Americans say that they value gender equality. It's a very popular value, right? Uh, but these young women, we're not really sure if they were seeing people living their value, which I think is also reflected in older generations. Mm -hmm. And one young woman shared with me, she was in college and she had a boyfriend and they moved in together for a summer internship in a new city. And she said, both of us would identify as feminists. Both of us have taken gender studies courses in college. Both of us know the theory. And she was sort of floored at how quickly they fell into these male and female roles in the household, that he was the one doing the fix it projects and changing the light bulbs. And she wanted, she felt compelled to have dinner on the table every night for them to sit down. So she was going through these sort of, we probably would refer to them as nesting or sort of like domestification. And he was more sort of interested in security and um, small fix it projects. And she was sort of horrified that that she was falling into these patterns that she had kind of made fun of her grandparents and her parents for having in her head for all of these years. And here she was perpetuating them. And so I think the number one message is it just happens. we, We are so entrenched. These gender norms and values, as you sort of alluded to this before, are so deep in our bodies, in our experiences, in our culture, in our history, that unless we make an intentional change, we're probably not going to change. Mm -hmm. And so I think educating yourself, knowing some of the statistics, the other big piece of advice is that this is not a one conversation topic. (laughs) This is not over dinner because you know what it's like when you're young and you're in love and it's just, it's so exciting. It's a wonderful time. Mm -hmm. And you want to believe everything that this person says. And so they say over dinner, of course, I'm a feminist and I want you to work and I support women's rights. And they say it once and you think, oh, check. And then you drop it. (laughs) (laughs) Saying it once doesn't necessarily transition into behavior patterns over decades. So I think that it, it necessitates regular conversation And in my book, I offer lots of different questions, not necessarily to sit down and go through at the same time, but just to bring up on car rides or walks or when you're washing dishes together, little things like that kind of get to underlying values that might dictate behavior in the future. Do you think that the person who earns more money 
doesn't have to do as much in the home. Would you move cities if I got a really cool job offer? You know, sometimes you have to have these harder, tougher conversations Mm. and really process information because we all know it is so much easier to set new patterns from the beginning than to change established patterns, right? It's, it's much easier to go into a fresh partnership when you're already reestablishing all of your rules and norms about being a family to establish those in the beginning, than to go to a relationship that's 15 years in and say, you haven't been pulling your weight. <laughs> what changes, you know, it's, it's just harder. It's not impossible, but it's harder. Mm-hmm. Now, and what a gift. Um, I'm even more recommending and why. <laughs> you know, all the young women we love Morgan to read it. it. Gift. <laughs> I will be gifting it to Morgan and Mitch um, for sure. And for myself, right? Like, because yes, our kids are grown, but my husband and I are stepping into a next phase of our life. And we just like you said, like we kind of had those conversations a little bit, then just fell into patterns or, you know, there's such a deeper exploration. And I feel like I'm just now coming into my own around honoring these aspects and like, huh, you know, is, do I really want that paradigm to continue and how we hold and value and, mm-hmm. and what if our work or that takes us in different directions than we thought, you know, what does all this mean? So I, this is a, the, I'm looking forward to exploring those questions myself with my husband and then inviting, um, because I'm aware that as she's going through this, there's things I'm thinking about for her wedding that I didn't think about for myself. And, mm-hmm. and at the same time, we were branching into new territory, just the fact that we did premarital counseling and we were thinking about a vision right. for our, our relationship together beyond just like, well, happily ever after and the myth <laughs> right. that's supposed to just happen. Right. And all these other things are going on, you know, beneath the surface. So uncovering some of those, but these gender issues were not as explored. And I'm noticing that, and they haven't made decisions about it, but as things are coming up about the norms of a wedding and, you know, the, the dad walking the daughter down the aisle and giving her away mm-hmm. to her husband, I'm like, ah. Oh, Like we're perpetuating these roles, like right there, like in public. And, you know, I've, so it's been a good opportunity for me to separate, you know, what's me in this and look at like, you know, that lost opportunity for myself and where I didn't explore it. And I certainly can invite her to explore it and also be aware you can make meaning. You can still do those same rituals, so to speak, but with more awareness, with more, so you're not just exactly. like, Oh, this is what you do. You walk down the aisle with your dad. He, right. he hands you over to this man, but that could have, you can decide you can decide what that has meaning for you, you know, even if you want to stick with how it's traditionally done great, but have more mindfulness and awareness and consciousness about what you're doing and within yourself, what that means to you. So this is illuminating all those aspects for me. So thank you on that, on that behalf, but anything that you would say or comment and what I was just sharing, Kate, I think that what you say is Correct, and that you, I every time our um, life patterns change, and big things like getting married or having a baby, but sometimes little things like just moving to a different neighborhood, which changes your daily routine, mm-hmm. getting a new pet, 
um, an illness. Maybe someone needs long-term treatment. Anytime you have a significant change in your family, you almost have to sit back down and say, how are we going to do this? What's our schedule going to be like? Who's responsible for what? And how do we make sure that we're not gendering these patterns? And for example, in my story, my husband and I were had a really great equal partnership when we first got married and during the birth, through the birth of our first child. And then at the birth of our second child, I had quit my job to go back and work on my PhD. So I was a student. So I was had flexible schedules and I had a second child. And it's just like within weeks, we had slipped into a totally different pattern than we had for the first, what, six years of our relationship. And it happens so fast that sometimes it just smacks you in the face. You're just like, how did that happen? So I, I just think it has to be intentional and regular. So as you said, you're entering a new phase um, in your life as well. So I just think it, and, and I hope, I hope that I was able to write the book in a way that a person can read it when they're entering a new partnership, when they're maybe expecting a baby, when they're the mother of the bride, all stages of their life and get something different out of it. Because I think that what you, what is best is when you take information and apply it to yourself and sort of figure out what's most relevant to myself right now. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so I have a couple more questions and then we'll, we'll fire away. I'm going to say sadly <laughs> wrap, wrap up, but as I mentioned at the beginning, you know, rewriting the mother code is really looking at mothering yourself. Um, mm-hmm. And what are some ways you've learned and in this process have shifted for you to mother yourself, to see the balances you want in your life? I think one thing that I have done is to define what mothering is to me, Mm, not to accept anyone else's definition of what a good or quality mother is, but to really think through that and to decide for myself what my goals and my priorities are. And that's, I wouldn't say I'm done. I would say I'm still on my journey, but that is something I work at and pushing back against shame. I think we all, I mean, we're all human. We are girls and women are raised to be nurturers and to take care of things and to take care of people. So when we put ourselves or our work ahead of our family, it feels very uncomfortable. It can, I mean, I don't know how other people feel. I often feel very uncomfortable. And so I have to work through that. And I, I lean on friends and I lean on family um, to process those feelings. And sometimes just, I have to accept the fact that I'm going to feel guilty and I'm okay with that because I think I'm making the right decision for myself right now. Um, And in terms of the way he didn't use the term self-care, but you sort of implied it maybe. And the way that I care for myself is I, I'm trying to do better at boundary setting, to know what my limits are and to be more comfortable articulating and sticking to my boundaries so that I put myself in a position where I can be a good mother, where I'm getting enough sleep. And I'm not talking about self-care in terms of getting a mani-pedi. I'm talking about self-care in terms of the big stuff, right? Like getting enough sleep, um, 
not taking on 20 hours of work for your 14 hour day and, and trying to just be kind to myself and my schedule, which I think is, um, I mean, I, I see that my husband struggles with the same thing. So I, I, you know, I, I think that a lot of us have some work to do with boundaries and through the pandemic, our boundaries were pushed and pulled and, and tugged, and it wasn't always in our control. And so sometimes, you know, we have to be flexible, but where we do have control, that's what I work on. That's beautiful. And um, I'm, I'm hearing that all is the way you're rewriting kind of your way of rewriting the mother code for yourself and particularly mm-hmm. what you mentioned about really defining what does mother mean to me and what are my values? What is my vision for myself as a mother? So to lessen that shame, lessen um, the shoulds that we think we're supposed to, to live under. So I'm, it's beautiful and I'm super inspired as always uh, with you in that regard. So to close out, I, I'm going to put this in terms of you are, you know, weeks away from the, the giving birth to your book officially, you know, it's going to be out fully in the world. And Which is scary. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's a transition or something, yeah. you know, that you'll then be nurturing and, and exploring, but um, I'm excited that it's coming into the world and I, the world needs it. And I'm grateful that you mothered it into being, but can you tell us and tell the listeners how, how can they get it? And what are other ways to connect with you and learn more about you and what you're doing? Absolutely. And thank you for giving me this opportunity. Um, So the book, you can get it from your favorite online quick delivery store. You can get it from your local independent bookstore. Um, You can find it wherever you Wherever you like to buy books, you will be able to find equal partners. Uh, there is an audiobook um, version. If Yay. you are <laughs> like me, I'm a huge yes. audiobook person because I can get through so many more books when I can listen. Than, and the, the narrator um, for the book, um, Suhaila, has actually become a friend of mine. And she's a, a wonderful human being and a fantastic narrator. So if you are a fan of audiobooks, then you'll, I think you'll really enjoy Suhaila's reading of this book. And of course, you can get it on Kindle as well or or your, uh, your tablet. So all of those options are available. I do have a website, katemangino.com, where I post all of my upcoming events. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at Mangino Kate. And you have a newsletter that I will. I do have a newsletter. <laughs> I'm not so I, it's a sporadic newsletter, but, um, Which I is always, fine for me, cause <laughs> I, I probably wouldn't read it if it was every week or something. It is not every week. It's about a once a month newsletter. Great. So if that's, if that's your speed, then I would speed I'm on as well. So (laughs) good for you. Great. (laughs) I'm glad. Well, what a delight and pleasure and everything that Kate just said will be in the show notes. Um, and you'll have access to it, but I, uh, obviously and strongly encourage everyone to buy, read, uh, and, and, most importantly, bring it into your life. And what I I love that you have how to's in the back so people can, these aren't just concepts. And like you said, you have to work at it. And I think sometimes, you know, we can get a little lazy about stuff like that, but the payoff is huge. And I think that's what you've seen. And and when you read the book, you'll discover others have have lived uh, this paradigm, which is really beautiful. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me today. 
Absolutely. I can't wait to continue watching you on your journey and see how the, all of this unfolds for you. Thank you. And I can't wait to continue your journey with Morgan and, and see how that turns out. I'm really excited yeah. to watch you through this process. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you so much for choosing yourself and taking the time to listen to this podcast. As always, please rate, review, and subscribe to Mother. Wait, no. Subscribe to Mother Her. It helps other people who need this message, aka all women, well, actually everybody, men included. I'm honored to have you on this journey in mothering yourself. Remember, change is uncomfortable, but it's beautiful and it starts with us. And if you can't wait until next week's episode, follow me on Instagram and LinkedIn at Dr. Gertrude Lyons or at my website, drgertrudelyons.com. I'll see you next time.